Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 153 of Fun with Cars for coverage of the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, we've got the Circuit de Catalunya, which has now been renamed the Circuit de Barcelona Catalunya because it's like a branding thing and they want to say, hey, we're close to Barcelona. So, whatever. Either way, it's uh, the Circuit de Spain. No, it's not. Yeah. No, there's other Circuits, and that's not even a. Anyway. It's a Circuit de. Bon Hablo Esteban. What? The uh, okay. Rodriguez. Hernandez. We're not at a minute into the show yet. It's already <laughs> gone. I warned you. I sideways. warned you about this ahead of time. That's true. Yes. Okay, so, of course, um, this is not um, our typical same-day race coverage. Uh, it was a week ago uh, that the race actually happened, so you probably know that's, what... That's all, my fault. Oh, what happened and whatever. Yeah, you were out of town, but, uh, you know, using your powers for good. As we, uh, as we posted on the Facebook page and whatnot, you were actually back at a uh, racing school and getting back behind the wheel of an open-wheel car. Um, for the first time in several years, I think, and uh, in eight, eight years. Yeah. Wow, that's more than several, even. Um, so that's of all the things to miss, you know, watching yeah. racing for, doing racing or learning racing, you know, driving skills and driving an open wheel car is probably um, some of the best ones. So yeah, no hard feelings. It all goes back to uh, what we talked about with my accident and you know our fun with hospitals era, and then. Even more deeply than that, just like you said, it's been a very long, long time since it's been in a proper car. So, just trying to make the most out of life. Sadly, making the most out of life fell into the schedule in a way that made us miss watching the Spanish Grand Prix like we'd like to. And uh, but, as uh, Jim and I like to say, better late than never. Right, and you know it was it was Mother's Day, so a belated Happy Mother's Day to uh, the mothers out there. And also that meant that we had you know time to you know I had you know plenty of family stuff going on that day anyway. So it all it all worked out. So is, in your mind, is it Mother's Day across the world? I, that's a U.S. holiday. I don't know. So either way, call your mother. She'd probably love to hear from you. Yeah, you know, like or, or, wherever you, know, you are. And if or, it's not Mother's Day where you are, mom. that's even better. Right, well, you know, call your mom. Right. Um, so, so in your mind, an open a, a, a proper car is only an open wheel car. Is that is that what I got from your little statement there? So every time you're driving to work in some whatever it may be, or uh, you're on a racetrack in like a Mustang or something cool, and you're like, oh, this is not a proper car. It's got fenders. Right. Stupid. No, improper. That's car. not at all. It's oh. it, 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 although in many ways what you said is true. It, me driving down the street, most of anything I drive down the street in, I would say is not a quote unquote proper car. Hmm. Um, you know, but a DTM car is definitely a proper car. A Lamar car is definitely a proper car. But even though the uh, the Formula cars that I was driving were forty year old uh, frame technology with ten year old engine technology, it's still you know purposeful, low to the ground, quick, and uh, requires some finesse to get going quickly. So. That's, That's what makes it proper. Better than a road car. Oh, and I was sitting, one thing I quite like, I was sitting in the center of it, you know. So this is that's what's beautiful. This is how this is how the East and West, or whoever else, can unite. Everyone sits in the center. There's no left-hand drive, right-hand drive. I don't know how to say that, you know, concisely, because you have England, Japan... Right. And Australia and uh, South Africa, 
there's a lot. There's a bunch of, you know, India, I think. Well, India is kind of like drive wherever. But uh, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of countries scattered about the world where, you know, the, where whoever colonized them and, you know, around the time of automobiles and whatnot. Exactly. But speaking of drives from the center of the car and proper cars, there was an F1 race. There was. And we should talk about that. I think that's probably why uh, our, our dear friends and followers are tuning in here. You know, that's a good idea. Okay. So, um, Lewis Hamilton is, continues to dominate. Yes. <laughs> and Nico Rosberg continues to make it entertaining. Nico Rosberg continues to make it way better than uh, last year or the year before that or on and on because there is still a rivalry going on. It just happens to be intra-team. Yeah, and you know, even even during periods of lots of dominance for the win, there's usually other battles to look at. Oh yeah, the battle for fourth is really cool, or you know, seeing who's getting into the points. And there's there's it's not like there's nothing to look at, but there is obviously something special about who's gonna win the race. And if the if the winner is a foregone conclusion, you know, ten laps into the race, then that does definitely take some of the wind out of the sails, so to speak, even if there is a really exciting battle for second place. So the good news is, as you say, you know, Rosberg has been there keeping Lewis honest, and in this case, um very, you know, very literally sort of making up that gap lap by lap. So yeah. I think, um, you know, the the performance differential, we didn't get to really see it in Australia because of Lewis's car failure. Um, and, of course, all the cars were new to everyone. Um, but then since then, obviously, Lewis has won four in a row, and it's just been amazing. Um, but uh, Rosberg, you know, some places was way off the pace, some places getting closer. But it seems like, you know, any weekend now, it could be, you know, bang on the money and it could go one way it could go another or it could all end in tears i mean it seems like it's starting to get to that point of uh back and forth where um it's not just a friendly team rivalry but rossberg is like properly pissed that he's not able to get ahead you know get ahead of lewis and, and get a win uh since you know since australia um and you know and then some of the team you know some of the guys that work for both guys on the team like managing that could start to be one of the stories of the season um as you know as we go into this next round well you know there are times when it is just somebody's year, and uh, it could be that those, both those two Mercedes drivers are thinking, this is my year, and that could be a cause of friction. But, I mean, this isn't, this isn't new. I mean, this reminds me of Senna Prost, you know, those kind of levels. There's, there's inter-team battles, and to a certain extent, that's okay. You know, that makes it more entertaining as long as they can maintain their professionalism. And yeah. I think, sorry, and I think Nico, especially, is going to be quite good at that level of it. He's he's very mature and professional in that sense. Yeah, and I, I mean, I feel like a lot of these guys are um, until they aren't. You know, like it's it. All it can take is, uh, you know, if they get into a, a team orders kind of call where it's like, oh, the strategy this makes sense, and you need to get by to let the other guy by. That could be a big cause of tension with the way the championship is right now. Um, of course, Lewis has four wins and no other points, so 100 points even on the board, and Rosberg's only three points behind. So that's right. That's you know very very close, uh, and it's you know we have no reason to think it's going to uh, it's going to be you know they're not going to stay close. I think um, probably you know there are still you know there can be crashes, there can be car unreliability things. There's there's plenty more and uh, plenty more interesting circuits and stuff to uh, to look at. I mean Monaco. Um, certainly of any place where you can just go a little bit wrong and have disastrous consequences, <laughs> uh, that's the next race in just uh, just four days' time until practice. So, um, you know, there's definitely – it's it's not a, the case that we can just say, oh, yeah, Hamilton has just got the speed and he's just going to continue on forever. It's definitely going to be, you know, worth watching, worth uh, following up to see kind of how things progress. But I think it could get to a point where 
Rosberg, you know, behind the the professional veneer and the real, you know, kind of media friendly uh, personality could be like, all right, this really, come on, like I really feel like I should be up there. I really feel is, like I should be doing better, and could actually, you know, come to a head. Right, but that's going to be where it's interesting because so far what we've seen you know, on the surface is that between the two, Hamilton is the one complaining more about what is the team doing for him. I mean, is Rosberg going to have? beefs with the team because they're not giving him a fair shot or is he just going to get more frustrated with himself do you know what i mean i don't i don't see anything on the surface anyway that suggests that mercedes is favoring hamilton in any kind of um obvious way no and i, I think that's going to be the frustration is um is partly it's well rosberg with himself to think like okay i've been at the team for longer i've got an established history with all these guys and so on this you know this upshot kid comes over from McLaren, you know, jumps ship right as it started to sink or just yeah. before it started to sink yeah. and comes over to Mercedes. And then all of a sudden, like life is amazing. Then we have these new rules and, and like, wow, he's just completely dominating. I mean, that's gotta be tough for, for Rosberg who's, you know, really kind of put in his time and work with the team and develop the car and so on. But also uh, I think Mercedes uh, is, they're going to have to keep developing the car. I mean, everyone does, even if you're at the top of the field, um, so if there are any, any actually, dis- I think Mercedes could go without developing the car for a while. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But that's that's an interesting question. Um, but uh, you know, would um, uh, I guess you know if they have to take a decision about okay, are we gonna you know we're, if we're looking trying to do some new designs or things, we have to make a call. Is this suit Hamilton more or suit Rosberg more? They could pick a decision that, that suits Hamilton more. I mean, that's I think the story with Red Bull that uh, we were talking about, and uh, you know, in the last few weeks is how uh, you know. Weber and Vettel were on pretty equal uh, pace early on when they both joined Red Bull and it was a young team and so on. Um, but then over the years, you know, Vettel had a better year uh, and then just all the car development really suited his style and it really yeah. just went in that direction. And I guess if I'm Rosberg, I may be concerned about that happening. I mean, presumably next year, a lot of teams can make some big advancements in engines and maybe even still this year. I'm not sure exactly if they can introduce new engines or how much they could change, you know, splitting turbos or whatever partway through a year. But um, yeah, you got to think that technology is going to make its way into the sport sooner or later. Right. Sooner or later. It's yeah. going to be. Either everyone does it or they say, okay, for next year, nobody can do that. We need to rework it another way or whatever. But I say move forward with that and we can start getting road cars with split turbos and all kinds of cool stuff. And like, let's, let's move things forward. That's kind of the point here. But so, uh, anyway, and, I, I think it, it could just be a case. I think it, we could be at some decision points uh, for Mercedes where so far it's not all good. Like you say, Hamilton, you know, with uh, not, not against his engineering team, but it's, it's definitely tense. And I don't, it doesn't seem like anything really personal or really any kind of falling out. It's just kind of like it's it's close for comfort and, you know, which is which is good for us as fans. I mean, if, if someone's comfortable, then that's probably not exciting. So keeping it close for comfort, keeping it kind of tense is good. Um, I hope it doesn't go uh, too far. And, and I'm you know hoping that, you know, Rosberg can stay motivated in, in a positive way and not get down about these things. Yeah, but uh, so far there's been five races. And it's a fun little statistic I just thought of. Um, if you, it, on any given weekend, the best a driver can do can win the race, but the best a team can do is be one, two. So that's 43 points in a race. That's the best a team can do. So far, there have been five races, 215 points. Between, between, the, two, uh, between the two drivers, Mercedes has scored 197 points. So they have scored... 91.6% of the possible points they could score. Right. So, so far, Mercedes is 
quite literally near perfection. I mean, to be in the uh, better than the 90th percentile of this is pretty incredible. And the only reason that we can see that they did not have, they have not yet, they did not score 100% of the available points thus far was that Lewis Hamilton had that uh, failure and had to retire in Australia. Yeah, from a wire insulator for a spark plug wire. You know, it's just some stupid little issue. Um, so it, it's interesting, you know, and I think, um, you know, so it's, I think having a week since I watched the race originally, we just rewatched most of it here, um, but it's still like, I think it's a bit easier to take a step back and look at some of the big picture things. Um, and uh, it kind of gives us a little bit wider wider lens to look through. But, um, I mean, I guess the other the other story to talk a bit more about this race um, while we're at it is, uh, you know, Red Bull seems to be coming back together. I mean, of course, Vettel had that gearbox change. He had a five-grade spot penalty, so he started 15th. Um, but um, he was able to make his way back up to fourth. Ahead of him was his teammate, Ricardo, and thankfully not close enough that uh, there was any team orders to get Vettel in front of Ricardo. And this uh, podium finish stuck, right. I believe. Yep, so far. It's a week later. So far, <laughs> you know, everything's okay. Yeah, they're they're trying to figure out a clever way to sabotage Ricardo on this one. Yeah, I wonder is. if it's just somebody that wants to see Ricardo get rid of his smile, and they're willing to go to any lengths to do it. It's like, oh, he's still smiling. <laughs> So, so well, knows? Vettel, I'm sure, is smiling because he's ahead of Ricardo in the championship now, which more than one race to the next in terms of results, uh, you know, it sort of matters in an, in an ongoing thing. Uh, Vettel has 45 points to Ricardo's 39, putting them fourth and fifth in the Drivers' Championship. So, well, and uh, we do know that uh, in, in technically the way they do it, uh, the way they tell other people they do it anyway, Red Bull says whoever's in the lead in the championship gets the favored treatment if they have to decide between the two. Right. So now I think Vettel's like, okay, now... I can justify any goofball things that happen that favor me over over Daniel Ricardo. Now I can say, well, it's because I'm going to leave the championship, or the team can say that, or whatever. But hold on, though. I mean, Sebastian Vettel had to be in the lead championship going into this event, too, because if anything, Ricardo closed the gap today. Right. Math is hard, dude. Dude, Vettel, Vettel, he's, it, it's, you know, it's fun to, it's fun to take personality traits from these tiny little myopic views of these people, but let's keep doing it. Um, Vettel has been a bit of a bit of a whiner this season, and it's like, dude, you just won four world championships, right? And I think to come down from that to being now having to struggle and and have you know difficulty in qualifying and difficulty making passes and whatever, it's uh, quite a fall from grace, I guess. But um, and it's not. I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, it, you know, it's not ferrari bad or mclaren bad or something you know i mean there's definitely been uh been bigger gaps in performance that uh, that could happen the fact that you know they are right now best of the rest i mean it was you know at the end of this race mercedes right there one and two less than a second to go between them um at, at, the, at the end of the race uh from spain here then 49 seconds back to ricardo and then another what uh, 26 seconds 27 seconds back to vettel and then on from there so Really clearly, in this case, you know, a dry race, dry qualifying, pretty straightforward race, and that's yeah. after Vettel having bad qualifying, you know, having or have, you know, starting from way back in the field. So it does seem like they're at least on the right path, and uh, especially compared to uh, preseason testing, where it was like, whoa, the Red Bull's hardly even running laps, and it's way off, and whatever. Uh, so I definitely think they're, you know, in a, in a solid point to keep moving forward, and, and closing the gap is going to be tough. I mean, that's a big gap to close, but. Yeah. Um, to be best of the rest and to be there when, uh, you know, a race win for a Red Bull in the coming five races is not the craziest thing in the world. Um, you know, of there, course. there could be, you know, all kinds of things that can happen. Um, but, 
Yeah, so, I mean, he said, first of all, okay, the sounds of the cars uh, are terrible. Um, and uh, he, you know, he used a, a vulgar word, but we on this family show do not use vulgar words. No, why, never. I mean, why, why would you ever use a, exactly. a vulgar word? I mean, sometimes we like to talk about uh, Twitter okay. in the past tense, oh, but, but uh, that's, that's not vulgar at all. Okay, that's good. So anyway, it is – it's very true. And there are a lot of interesting battles coming up you know, and a lot of positive things to see. So yes, Red Bull does seem to be best of the rest, but um, a team that has been a lot of fun to talk about this year, Williams, you know, Botas uh, finished best of the rest of the rest. So <laughs> How far back can this go? Yeah, I mean, we didn't really hardly see much of him at all during the race. He started fourth, finished fifth. It's quiet for him. Yeah, I mean, he got, you know, this late race pass from from Sebastian Vettel who was just charging up through the field and had quite good pace as we said, but dude, solid result for Botas, man. Well done to uh, to do that, especially and Massa had a had a pretty dread, dreadful race. He ended up 15th, started 9th. Just I thought it was 13th. Was it 15th? Um 13th, right. 13th. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah you know, Botas just had a handle on it much more today. But I think uh, the much more entertaining team to watch uh, today was Ferrari. Yes, we finally got at least a taste of the Alonso Raikkonen battle that ever since, you know, near the end of last season when we heard, okay, Raikkonen is, is going to Ferrari for next year. And then, of course, he, you know, quit Lotus basically to right. get back surgery and whatever. Um, that was the big like tantalizing thought was, oh man, we're going to have two guys. And <laughs> that this... thought was quite tantalizing. It was <laughs> for some people, you know, that's the kind of thing is tantalizing some to people think, are into that okay, these guys are going to be, you know, it's, it's Ferrari. That's kind of special on its own, the same car. So it's not to say, oh, this guy's got a better car. That guy's a better car, but two of the best drivers going. And just so far this year until Spain, it just really hasn't happened. A lot of it's been raking in way out to sea with not good car setup and poor qualifying and timing's been weird and so on. But finally, we actually had some on-track battles. In this case, which is good for Alonso, and especially in front of his home crowd, Alonso came out ahead. He was able to, you know, just reel in raking in lap by lap, had a couple looks, a couple of, you know, near, uh, you know, passes and whatever. And then actually when he ended up executing was a cool outside, inside, outside, several corner uh, deal through kind of turn, and I guess it's called, you know, considered turn three or whatever, um, around this, you know, the long right-hand sweeper at the beginning of the lap uh, from Spain and uh, made it stick. It wasn't just a simple, oh, he hit the DRS and zoomed past and that was it. It was like, hey, they worked for it a little bit, had a cool battle, and uh, especially all the Spanish fans must have really dug that. Um, it was, a, you know, it's only for sixth, so it's not for a win. It's not for a lead of the championship. It's not well, crazy. But the fact that they're there and battling was, and points it, and whatever. Exactly. It was for sixth and it was to stay on the lead lap in a sense, <laughs> which is, you know, oh, in this, uh, that's a whole other thing. But the other thing that was you, you talked about the Spanish fans. Spanish fans were holding their breath for a little while because – of all the races for Kimi Raikkonen to start reeling this thing together and start getting comfortable with the Ferrari again, one can assume that that's what was going on. Uh, the Spanish Grand Prix is where Raikkonen is showing his strengths against Alonso. And, uh, you know, poor Alonso is sweating a bit here because uh, Raikkonen out-qualified him and Raikkonen was starting the lead and he was not giving it up. You know, Alonso was challenging early and failed. Alonso went on an alternate pit strategy to try to get around in the pits, failed. You know, he finally made it work, and congrats to him, because again, it was proper team-on-team fighting for position. That was kept professional, nothing was dirty, but it was good racing. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's funny looking at the results, how simple it looks like. So Kimi Raikkonen started sixth, finished seventh. Alonso started seventh, finished sixth. So all that really happens, they both started their race. At some point during the race, Alonso passed Kimi, and they finished their race. I mean, <laughs> and I guess in a way, it was kind of that simple. I mean, there's pit strategies, and you're cycling through and all the different things. But at the end of the day, it is like, okay, they started here, they swapped. Yeah, I mean, of course, the, the part of that is, okay, Vettel started way back and ended up way forth. You know, there's other, a lot of other things that moved around, but it's funny just to, to kind of look at it in summary like that and be like, oh, yeah, that's all it was. And then, I, you know, as we're going down the, the, the rundown here, uh, Romain Grosjean and the Lotus, of course, um, finishing eighth uh, after qualifying fifth. And, like, I feel like that is made just all the more impressive by seeing what his teammate is doing or not doing oh, with my. the same car. I Maldonado, mean, I mean... It's, like, not even funny anymore. <laughs> no, it's still really funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he, it's, know why it's still funny? Because Maldonado chose the number 13. And my God, is he living up to it in glorious ways. Yeah. I, he's been getting race penalties almost every race. And he's been having these mistakes in the weekends that are just, they're just insane. Right. Like an early, uh, you know, early quali crash in this case he was checking his phone or something don't text and drive and you know it's like oh the corner was wrong that's a weird corner it's like everyone else was able to make it through that corner pastor yeah. and you didn't and yeah. it was just like these weird crashes and damage to the car and you know people have taught people have asked us um you know how can the team make money like obviously he brings millions of dollars of sponsorship money but Many it's millions. like yeah. he but he seriously just in terms of broken car parts and like every once in a while yeah he has a high profile crash and whatever things happen parts get replaced but this year, it's like, that really, really is adding up. Like, all the, you know, and like, you can see the look on the mechanic's faces when he calls in. He's like, I had a crash, or I lost the car, or whatever happened. That corner came out of nowhere. And, <laughs> and, and the team is just like, dude, what the hell? And like, it's just like, yeah, we're here, and obviously we're cashing your checks, and that's great. But seriously, Pastor. So, Grosjean, to come eighth in what is clearly not a very good car, um, and to do whatever he's doing to to make that work is I think just made all the more, you know, it, it really punctuates the, uh, the, you know, comparative performance there between the teams. And, uh, yeah, that's, you know, in, in the Renault powertrain, you know, which is not uh, not the strongest one this year either. This is true. But to be fair, um, everyone knows that uh, the Circuit de Catalunya is a pro to husk surface uh, circuit. You know, clearly. I mean, the, yeah, the twin tusk definitely just fits here. No, I like, I like the word husk better oh, okay. because it reminds me of, Ears of corn. Corn. <laughs> so, you know, that are black. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, would, I would agree with you to, for uh, Grosjean to get into Q3 in the first place. That was good. But then to be fifth, that, that was a good result. And I think it shows that Grosjean is really becoming uh, a driver that would be quite, quite good in a top ride. He's right up there with Hulkenberg in that sense. Yeah, and it's a bit... I mean, obviously he had a few years ago, right? You know, he became, you know, was very crashy and had lots of poor race starts and whatever. But I think we can look at his career, especially now, and really say, yes, he has grown and developed as a driver. I mean, we haven't had any kind of those like, oh, Grosjean, uh, you're really pushing it here. That's right. not a good move. Like, he's been solid. He's been, I think, getting more out of the car uh, than, than it, you know, deserves or whatever. Not, you know, we don't hear him um, complaining. We actually, I mean, we didn't see much of him in the race today either, but he just, you know, solidly drove a race, collected points for the team. I mean, that's... That's what you want to do, and 
you know, staying out of the spotlight if you're, while doing that, that's completely fine. So it's a bit like the, the Alonzo story of like, hey, you know, whatever car we can give him, you know, we're going to make the best car we can. But even if it sucks, we can, you know, this guy can drive it and get something out of it. Yeah. And uh, that is a very, very important skill in modern Formula One. So, um, yeah, it seems like, you know, good for him to uh, to kind of keep moving that forward and, uh, and you know, do well. Even if it's only for a couple points now, um, that still, you know, adds up pretty well uh, and, and, you know, certainly... Um, you know, Lotus Renault is not looking like any kind of favorite for any constructors' championships uh, this year or next. But um, Grosjean has four more points than his teammate uh, for, with four points, so that's uh, you know a solid a solid place to go. <laughs> that is uh, that is a sad way to put it, but it it is it is something, I suppose. Yeah. And uh, I I don't know the other team that God we I just where have they gone? Uh, we have McLaren. I mean, they were. Very strong in Australia, and then it just seems like a quite, quite steep and precipitous drop to a mid-pack field. Yeah, and in a general sense, we were looking at, um, you know, okay, oh, this is Spain, right? We're going to be back in Europe. Everyone's going to have upgrades, and everyone had upgrades, but like little stuff. You know, there was no, you know, going into this, you, sometimes you see what's almost considered a B-spec car of like, wow, this is a really big change or whatever, and no one really had that. Um, but also, you know, we think, okay, this is usually things would get shaken up and, you know, maybe Red Bull has closed the gap a little bit more to Mercedes. Um, but even that's pretty far off and Ferrari is not, you know, this isn't the podium they had last race or whatever. This is solid to get two, two cars in the points, but not great. But McLaren, like maybe even did, you know, take another step backward. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, Australia was a bit crazy because, it was you no know, cars were new to everyone and the tires and the turbos and the curves the whole thing was new and crazy so well done guys to get the most when everyone is you know confused or you know everyone's on has a big challenge for someone to you know meet that challenge better than the rest that's great you yeah. know you don't want to take anything away from that but a big part of this sport is how far you know how can you continue to move forward and what race to race can you do to uh to maintain you know maintain the gap if you're mercedes or for you know to close that gap if you're anyone else and uh they really you know there was they were just out of the points today and uh you know there's no just out of the points and together 11th and 12th and and just you know seeing uh no no signs of you know what's what is it what's it going to be that's going to fix it you know they've got the mercedes powertrain or you know so you'd think as long unless the chassis or the arrow something breaks something is just way wrong about that car it's like it really should be higher up the grid than that yeah. and uh you know if if the lotus renaults can you know can work around this you know sort of pretty bad chassis and pretty bad engine and you know and beat you guys and you guys have the best engine in the field and well, what's going on so anyway obviously yeah. buttons no slouch magnuson showed he's really uh really you know got some drive and uh is doing well so that's just kind of a question because it doesn't seem like they know what the problem is. And that's the probably the saddest part. It's like, okay, hey, if we've identified the problem, it's going to take some hard work, some engineering, some ingenuity to fix it. Cool. But these guys, it seems like, are just kind of, well, I don't know. We're just driving and it's just not going very fast. Right. Exactly right. And another – it's funny to mention because uh, for Magnuson to have a seat in McLaren, they booted out Sergio Perez. Sergio Perez is now a uh, teammate with Nico Hulkenberg at Force India. They finished ninth and 10th just ahead of McLaren and uh, Sergio ahead of Hulkenberg. So it could be, I'm a little bit more hesitant about this one, but it could be that Sergio is maturing into a very solid driver himself. You know, Hulkenberg has established a reputation of being very strong and uh, Perez is not, is not uh, way behind. 
Yeah, and, and now that we've got you know five races in, uh, we can look at the points and stuff, and it's you know things are kind of starting to even out. Um, but to see uh, Jensen Button is eighth in uh, in the constructor in the drivers championship with twenty three points. Just behind him with 20 points is Kevin Magnuson, you know, his teammate, of course. Yeah. Just behind him, also with 20 points, is Checo Perez. So same number of points, but, of course, Magnuson having his higher result uh, yes. puts him ahead. So that'll be interesting to see because it's right now, you know, there are very little between them. Um, and then actually a few steps ahead of them, Nico Hulkenberg is in sixth place with 37 points. So almost double uh, what these other guys have. So in terms of both the constructors between Force India and McLaren, but also as just these teammates and the drivers individually – uh, yeah, it definitely looks like the trajectory is that the Force Indias are stronger right now than the McLarens. So over the next few races, you know, probably Shaco Perez will become, you know, will be ahead of the McLarens in the, in the drivers' championship. Already, Force Indias, you know, as a, a step or two ahead of uh, of McLaren. So it does seem like Checo, you know, got lucky because it wasn't his choice to leave McLaren and, and right. jump ship. That was definitely a decision that was made for him. Um, but of all the happy accidents, like wow, that seems like a, you know, a you would think, you know, stepping away from McLaren to Force India would be a step down. In this case, it's not, uh, yeah. for now anyway, as, as it goes in the season so far. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to see because right now, you know, Force India is fourth in the Constructors' Championship, nine points behind Ferrari. That's definitely catchable. You know, to get to, for them to start thinking about second place, which is Red Bull Racing, that gets hard to think about. But I'm not ready to rule out. Um, force India being able to once again surpass Ferrari. Who knows? I'm not suggesting that that's what will happen, but I'm saying it's definitely within grasp. Um, yeah, in general sense, you'd think that McLaren would be the you know of all the teams that can spend some money and make their car better, faster than others. Like how you start the season is one thing, but then you know if, if they can develop the car, you would think McLaren would work uh, would you know would have more budget to keep pouring into the cars, more upgrades. But hey, man, when Force India is going and uh, you know if sponsors are happy and things are working, you know then uh, it really could uh, come together pretty well for them. But so I I would think Ferrari is on more of an upward tick and uh, and that they will continue to move forward. Probably not catch Red Bull, but I imagine Ferrari staying third. As uh, as kind of Mercedes at the top, clearly, you know, head and shoulders above everyone. Right. And then between Red Bull and Ferrari, I do think Red Bull, um, you know, will will continue to do well. They do seem to be closer, um, but I don't personally see Force India uh, doing well. But between McLaren, Williams, STR, not so much. But uh, McLaren, Williams, Force India, that's I think where it's going to be interesting to see kind of how those three shake out. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you say that because. I agree with you, but at the same time, I didn't expect to see Force India as strong as it was at the beginning of the season either. Right. So I don't know. I think there's some clever folks at Force India, or maybe they're not uh, outrightly clever, but they're clever as a group. They just happen to click really well as a as an engineering team. Who knows? Um, the other thing, though, is that uh, Mer- uh, McLaren, I just reminded myself, went through a major management shift right before the beginning of the season. Right. And there was probably some, uh, I don't even know if this doesn't sound right at all, but some beginner's luck, I'm using air quotes for that, um, that this new management team got got going really well in Australia, but um, that now that they're trying to resort out how the whole team works, 
um, as they got rid of uh, Martin Whitmarsh and a bunch of other people. Yeah, they're, from they're whom we've heard nothing, pains. by the way. You know, Martin Whitmarsh is completely off the radar. Yeah, just went Usually, quiet. you know, these guys, you know, it's like Peter Windsor and USF1, like that was all a thing. And now he's still floating around. He's a journalist. He's got a, you know, a, a show that he does. And, he, you know, he writes articles and different things. Yeah. Turns usually, out journalism is, in fact, a little bit easier than actually having a Formula 1 team. But, like, Martin Whitmarsh is just gone. I mean, someone found, you know, had a picture of him at a, at a football game or whatever. And he's like, oh, yep, he's alive anyway. And he's in England. But beyond that, we've heard nothing from him, which is wild. I mean, Stefano Domenicali even is showing up and doing um, any, any little stuff. But anyway, um, yeah, and so, I, I mean, you think, you'd have to think by the time that the management shuffle took place that the 2014 car was pretty well, the fundamentals of it certainly were done. True, and but, but things this are being development, developed. the reacting right. and that kind of stuff. And so then it's, you know, and, and a lot of the actual people working on it, um, you know, are probably still there. But in terms of like, okay, let's understand the philosophies behind this car and now how to move forward on it, um, it, it is a pretty big task to sort of to sort of pick up where someone else left off in terms of, okay, let's structure these teams and management and figure it all out. And they still, of course, um, haven't really announced their sponsor. I mean, that was part of the whole thing is, oh, they got a new title sponsor, and a lot of people think it might be Coca-Cola, or maybe it's Sony with PlayStation or whatever, and, uh, you know, and this is all ahead of next year is going to be Honda anyway, so this is a bit of an right. interim year. Um, so... I think, yeah, say 2015, you know, I don't, I'm not going to rule out anything for McLaren doing anything wonderful. But for this year, um, it does seem like a bit of a just transition. Let's do do what we can, get some points and so on. But I, I don't – I wonder mm. – I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I'm sorry about that. I, But it makes – I just thought, is Mercedes giving McLaren the crappiest engines? They're kind of a lame duck supplier. They know, they gr- they know they're going to Honda. They're otherwise competition anyway. I mean, I don't know. I'm not – that seems – Probably not true, but I right. wonder. I mean, the engine deals do make for some interesting um, politics a little bit because, you know, like when Sauber Ferrari was outperforming Ferrari or when, you know, McLaren Mercedes outperforming Mercedes, that was the story for the last several years. So sure. in a way, the bosses at Mercedes are in, in a way probably like happy to see that, hey, there's a Mercedes engine that's winning races and they can put these specs out and about their partners about, hey, Mobile One and Mercedes technology, we win all these races and we have these championships. They're fine with that. Um, and, you know, if their factory team isn't doing well, they can say, oh, well, we, you know, this McLaren Mercedes is doing really well. It still has Mercedes, still has the logo, and that's all good. And, you know, I, I think if any uh, any uh, engine constructor were found to be giving any better or worse engines to any other teams, that that would be a huge deal. And it's probably not that simple. But um, as we we're talking about a little bit during the race, it's not just about, hey, this engine makes 10 fewer horsepower or something, but just... Um, you know, all the test data about it. You know, these engines are, it's not a drop-in part of the car. I mean, this is an integral part of the structure of the car, and obviously yes. you know that and whatever. But just to, um, you know, if there's just kind of thoughts about the way they design the engine to work within the chassis of the car <laughs> and the way things are, what's what's stiff and what parts are light and what parts work and how we're going to do the turbo and heat exchange and all these things, you know, it's it's, you know, there's so many different ways you could go with it. And, uh, and you know, it just seems like Mercedes just really has a handle on it and good for them. And uh, Lewis really seems to have, uh, you know, have what it takes to just muscle that thing around and, and do well with it. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, McLaren may be more focused on 2015 now than 14, but, um, you know, hopefully they can figure some things out and uh, continue to do well this year. Because a lot of the fundamentals of the car, you think, would carry over to next year. I mean, of course, for 2014, we had massive changes in the car the regulations for obviously front wings and noses and, and you know, all these kind of things, those are going to be essentially basically the same as far as we know for now anyway. There may be some cosmetic things about nose height or whatever, but you'd think the fundamentals of the car will carry over to a Honda powertrain, but, uh, you, you know, it's going to be the same 
displacement engine, you know, same turbo and ERS and all those kind of things as far as we know. So, um, you know, you think that uh, they're still going to want to develop this car just to make the, the 2015 car better overall. But, uh, yeah, however much of that is specific to the powertrain, yeah, Mercedes may have a little bit better stuff than uh, than McLaren's got. Yeah, the new uh, – I actually, I actually just read this article that the new nose cone regulations is the nose cone actually has to be 50 millimeters below – ground now it actually has to function as a plow oh so it's like a slot car thing yeah now. exactly yeah it, it just kind of slots in and it has to be a sheer drop from the so yeah those are probably going to be uglier um a couple of things just looking at the championship that um the the driver's championship points so far um second place nico rosberg not uh lewis hamilton second place nico rosberg has nearly a two race lead over um fernando alonso in the championship after just five races. Um, clearly, um, Lewis Hamilton has more than that. Um, but the other thing, still speaking about Lu- uh, Fernando Alonso, Fernando Alonso, third in the cha- championship, doesn't feel that way, but there you have it. And he is eight positions above his teammate, Kimi Raikkonen, who's in 11th. Yeah, Kimi has 17 points and Alonso has 49. Yeah. That's a pretty big gap. Although yeah. it looks like after this race that Raikkonen will be back up there among the fray. So now it sort of should get interesting. But as I always say, the points you earn at the beginning of the season are just as good as the points you earn at the end of the season. Oh, but wait. Except for that last race where you get double <laughs> points because somehow that matters. Yes. Ugh. I like. I forget about that sometimes, and then every time I remember it, I'm like, that's so dumb. Double points, that's a thing. You know what's ironic, though? Because mm-hmm. uh, I was just about to make a joke about how, oh, look, now Felipe Moss is doing better than uh, the Ferrari teammate. Nope, no, nope. he's not. Five points behind. He is five points behind. And this is coming off of the fact that uh, Valtteri Botas is seventh in the championship um, with 34 points well ahead of Massa. Massa, to be fair, has had some bad luck. It is not entirely Massa's fault. But, uh, I don't know. It hasn't, it's been more than none of his fault, too. It's been more than none of his fault. That's true. So So racing. I feel like we've talked back and forth about this several times, but this whole efficiency versus noise and all these kind of things continues Uh, to carry on. So we've got (laughs) the megaphone exhaust test, which I think we both agreed was kind of dumb from the outset. Oh, I thought we both agreed it was better. It Did was you, way better. Were you actually on board with the megaphone idea? Though? No, I mean, seriously. I was, no, genuinely Because no, uh, no. it's missed the point. Um, and uh, so, as we talked about, there was this working group that was established after China, was it? Um, and then it was, uh, it was, well, no, I guess it was during Bahrain they started meeting. And, of course, Bahrain was a race where, like, hey, we have great racing. We don't care what they sound like. But people were kind of slow to react, and these, you know, bureaucracies take time to come together. So part of it was like, okay, let's see how we can, you know, improve the noise. And as we talked about weeks ago, and I put together this stupid little spy shot of a McLaren with a Photoshop trumpet on the back of it. I was like, what else are they going to do? The exhaust of the turbo is right there. There's not much you can do to change things to make it better, except put a freaking bell on the, tur- on the make the exhaust into a bell shape. And that's almost exactly what they did. It was a megaphone shape, so it was just a straight <laughs> cone instead of a bell. But that was it. And that was, and then they ran it, and I think they tested it, and everyone said this sounded worse and is dumb. Um, but I feel like the uh, you know people have moved on anyway from the the noise issue. I mean, people are getting used to the sounds, and you know the seeing the cars slide around and the way things are happening is uh, is interesting anyway. But um, so I read a uh, there's this blog post actually from a while ago, from April 24th, from Joe Sayward, um, who's uh, you know this well well known and respected F1 journalist. He actually goes to all the races and, and follows these things, and you know knows a lot of people in the sport and so on. Much smarter guy than me, um, who made the point that's like 
the FIA and more specifically Formula One have really done like a disservice to themselves in terms of PR. I mean, they should be the ones coming out and sort of in support of the regulations. Yes. Um, if there's to write a news article, to have a you know whatever videos about it, you know, cool stuff on the web, press releases, whatever, um, to say like, hey guys, like we have made guys, the world, everyone, um, we have made regulations that have made cars you know, go almost as fast, not quite as fast, almost as fast. The race would be um, a few minutes longer this year than it was the previous year. Um, you know, and, and the example he gives is in, uh, uh, was in China. But of course there was that, um, the, the early uh, checkered flag kind of thing that brought out the checkered flag like a, like two laps early, which was weird. So they actually considered the race finished. But oh, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. it's like if it had not been for that, Lewis race time um, over 56 laps in Shanghai would have been one hour, 36 minutes, 52.8 seconds. Uh, last year and the year before, the race took about 26 seconds longer than it did in 2013 and 2012. Not even half a minute. So it's a loss <laughs> of less than half a percent in terms of performance over the course of a race. Um, and in contrast, this was achieved using around 33% less fuel. Like that's actually a really remarkable achievement when you think about you know engineering and you know saving not saving the world but you know using less resources and moving forward and, and all those kind of things. It, um, well, it, it, not saving the world certainly, but it is it is right in the sense of uh, changing the mindsets of people. And if you've got very talented, intelligent engineers changing their mindsets. It could actually, even though in a direct sense, this is a very small amount of energy being used um, as a percentage of the world, it could have a big impact on how humans use energy. Right. And it it, it makes people aware of that in a way. You know, it's, this is, you know, if, if F1 is anything, it's, you know, it's this top level sport, but it's a big marketing thing, really. It's, you know, getting sponsors and companies and car makers and all these things in front of eyeballs all around the world and people are really excited about it and so on. So using that platform... Eyeballs and earballs. Earballs as well. Um, so using that platform to sort of remind people like, hey, we should, you know, be smart about using resources and hey, we were able to get, you know, 33% less fuel for half a percent in term of performance loss. Like, that's really good. Hey, F1 guys are really great. Like, someone should be, as he sort of says, like shouting from the hilltops, like, dude, F1 is amazing. These regulations are great. But because no one is really taking that position, except maybe me on this podcast, um, <laughs> then uh, you're taking a slice of it and you're taking it in a very specific and staunch way, I must right. say. But, uh, you know, to sort of the only stories that are coming out of it are. Oh, these guys don't like the way the sounds are, and all oh, this old F1 driver thinks that these sounds are lame, and all oh, this new driving driver, you know, uh, Sebastian Vettel says the cars sound terrible, or you know, people don't like them, or whatever. And what I actually don't understand Vettel's comments more recently, where he's like, "I want a car that's a beast, and you have to tame it." And it's like, I feel like that's what we have right now, well, and it, yet he's complaining about it. Like it, that, it's that just, more, right? It's more what they have now, and that's actually Vettel's comments were very appropriate, just totally backwards because these cars maybe are well they are they're a little bit slower than they used to be and they are definitely slower than they were in i think it was 2004 was the peak in terms of speed because it was still v10 and uh they had you know certain aerodynamic developments back then that's when the cars were the absolute fastest 2005 but okay either way v10s yeah no i didn't i'm sorry not 2010 i meant 2004 v10s yeah 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 so we're we're arguing between 2004 and 2005. It was one of those two years, let's say. 2005 was the last year of the V10. Right. So that makes sense. Anyway, I just remember a lot of lap records being in 2004. That's what I'm basing it on. Okay. Anyway, point is, um, we are now at a point where 
less peak horsepower, yes, but probably a lot more mid-range power, mid-range torque, because um, the way an electric motor works, it doesn't uh, it doesn't make crazy amounts of power, but it makes all the torque it can make from a zero speed. So that means torque is pretty much available instantly, and all of it is there. And you combine that with the torque of um, more torquey turbo engines, you have a lot more torque. That means that these things are going to be much more likely to spin tires and uh, be more delicate when it comes to managing power. More beastly, you right. could say. I mean, it's like that corner exit when you're going slow and you want to get on the power because you're out, like coming under a straightaway. Yeah. You want to just bury the throttle and just go for it. But if you do, the car gets, you know, the car just immediately starts coming out. You still got lateral forces in the car, so then you get these wiggles on on exit, and it's using and your right them. foot because, of course, you don't get you know electronic traction control. So it's using your right foot to um, to manage exactly how much of this combination of electricity and, and internal combustion and it, everything. It's actually kind of cool. I you think. can think of it like a beast that had to be tamed. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? It and, could be like it's like a beast that yeah needs to be tamed. It's you know. And that's, on top of that, in addition to this, you've got this beastlier beast that's more beastly. Your whip, your restraints on this beast are weaker in the sense that you have less aerodynamic downforce. Aerodynamic downforce is what made it easier to plant lots of power because the air, the wind is pushing the car down so heavily. That isn't happening as strongly now. So um, it is quite literally... A beast that is more beastly, that is, you've been given less tools to tame it. So uh, the best beast tamers will be the ones doing the best. Yes. See how I took, I used, I, my entire description of that was like four different words. I just said them over and over. Nice. Well I'm done. really good at that. So I, I suspect um, we'll see fewer complaints from Sebastian Vettel as he is doing better in the results. And he's sort of like, oh, it's okay. So I think that was just frustration at how far back uh red bulls you know fell from dominance in the years prior to really really struggling at the beginning of the year and now that they're stepping back up i think um vettel will do fine and he will not make all these comments about how the sport is terrible or the cars are terrible or the sound is bad or whatever but i did want to i guess you know make that point about the uh the sound specifically um because that's you know, it's it's something that's it's been going around for a while. This whole megaphone exhaust, I think, is sort of a the wrong approach. And really, that's um, and we we've, we've seen some other approaches, uh, other proposals as well, including uh, well, what people really like is you know sparks and smoke coming out of the cars. Like you know, back in the classic days, you see these old replays, and that's really cool. So in addition to the sound, we, we you know people miss that sound. People want to see sparks and crazy stuff. And I agree, it's cool when you see these old replays, even from you know the 90s and 80s, and especially as going back farther. Seeing uh, when the people were, you know, teams were first figuring out aerodynamics and how things were going, you know, glowing brake rotors, that's always cool, right? Um, but to introduce that to just really seems fake and really seems dumb. I mean, it's... Yeah, um, you might as well give everyone uh, a pair of Google goggles to put on before they watch the race. It's like, would it be cooler it's if like, there were oh, fireworks coming out of the cars? Right. Maybe and, a little bit, but that's not the point. And now the racing's in space! Ooh, you know, I, mean, I would watch that. It's though. like virtual reality uh, is is their answers, and this is going back to the sound a little bit, but kind of encompasses this broader thing, which is the reason why the cars sounded so cool to me, at least back then, was because what that sound represented was the purity of sport, the purity of performance, going for. Um, the maximum amount of power you can in a package. And um, 
there was no mufflers, there was no restraints of any kind, no baffles to um, make it more pleasant for the you know main populace. This was an avenue where engines were there to do one thing, and that was make power, and it produced this loud, intense, crazy sound that we love because of what it did. Well, these new power plants don't sound that way, and that has taken a little bit of getting used to, but don't fake it. They sound the way they do because of the same reason. They are trying to extract performance in the same way that the old engines were. Purity, that is the one thing they're trying to do, is extract performance. That sound is natural. Don't make the sound unnatural just so it is, so it reminds us of something else. That goes, but that's like uh, fearing change for change's sake. This coming from you now, just to be clear. This is you, the one, you know, calling other people out for fearing change. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. This is my anti-sound argument because okay. we all fear change. Got it. Yes. That's why it's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I miss the old sound. That part's still true. But what I'm saying is I don't I, – I really – I'd much rather l- continue with the new sound than – falsely reproduce the old sound right i feel like well the new cars and i guess this is joe sayward's point as well it's like the sport should own the fact that and publicize and share and promote the fact that like hey these engines are way more efficient this is really cool but these cars are still really fast and that's amazing like that's cool let's put our stamp on that and own that and yes if the only side effect is that they they lose less energy through the form of sound on the track like okay that's not awesome it'd be cooler if they didn't but they do so whatever but just like let's take that and run with it rather than okay let's you know let's not focus our efforts on developing these cars further or fancy technology let's put megaphones on the exhaust and let's do that like it's it's that's not helpful that's not moving things forward let's let's own the fact that yes these cars are really interesting they do lots of cool stuff and i think the electric motors and turbos and whatever kind of sound cool anyway in a different way right but whatever <laughs> um and but they sound more complicated right and... which is kind of neat i mean you know that's if they you know, the engineers of tomorrow, if it's, you know, little kids that go to the races and are inspired by these cool cars that they're seeing and hearing and smelling and all that, if part of it is like, wow, there's a lot going on in that car and that driver, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but this is really interesting and intriguing to me, then maybe those people will be inspired to, to look into some of these things. And, you know, by the time, uh, you know, another 20 years or whatever, when they are, um, you know, in, into a career of their own, probably a naturally aspirated high revving V8 is not going to be the technology of the day there's probably you know who knows what'll be more electric and fuel cells and who knows what but the point is like you know that's this is this is how things move forward and keep going and yes the old the old cars sound cool so somebody will go to goodwood and there'll be a historic race car and they'll be like oh look at this remember that's back from the 2013 season this is what cars used to sound like right oh that sounds cool yeah it's great we can all enjoy that the car will do a burnout it'll use up some gas it'll do its thing that's fine (laughs) but um you know for where the sport is and where it's moving forward is uh is what we have now with electricity and turbos and whatnot. I think I've come up with a win-win solution to this. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's let's change the sounds of these cars because we agree that there is – if we're talking about purity of the sound alone, there is something better than what they make now. If this okay. involves a mutilated animal, I'm, I'm done. Actually, pretty close. <laughs> I, think, I think the cars should um, – um, now just play uh, the song Rock You Like a Hurricane by the Scorpions <laughs> as they go down. Like whenever they're on the thoughts, Rock You Like a Hurricane! Yeah. And uh, yeah, sure, throw in a mutilated animal there or thereabouts because they're probably being thrown on stage anyway, right? I mean, these are your, right. this is your classic 
80s arena band, right? Well, of course, there's road cars that do that now, right? The cars themselves are so efficient, the sound deadening is so good, and then people say, oh, I can't even hear that there's an yeah, engine there. So now they... The Germans call them sound actors. Right. Or, you know, it's either, you know, making sound just through the uh, through the speaker system, and then in some cases there's a, what's some uh, Renault uh, Clio or something where you can dial in the sound and choose what you want it to sound like for the speakers, which is, like, you know, great for your 10-year-old, but a bit uh, a bit silly as a gimmick for... Uh, for other ones, but uh, you know, for 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 grown-ups, as it were, my car has a sound symposer, okay, in it, which is at least an acoustic thing. It's not electronically like generating sound from electrical waves. It's just sort of taking the sound from the intake and bringing it in so I can hear it, which is okay, a little bit of a fake thing, but it sounds really good, so I like it. Well, yeah, I mean, Ford did that because you own a Ford Fiesta ST. Um, Ford did that with the Mustangs too. Where it wasn't fake per se, but it wasn't pure either. They had a tube funnel in to the cabin, and all that tube really did was allow sound waves to more easily channel so you could hear intake noise and things like that. Right. More and easily. I remember that Mustang with that uh, I saw first here with you before it was available on the road because you were development, uh, you know, yeah. doing testing and development and things like that, that had those, what, side pipes or whatever with a, with a baffle. And then, like, it would, uh, it was, you know, fill me on on this here, right? Because oh, it had, like, yeah, yeah, the you're normal about exhaust. The boss. Yes. Yeah, the normal exhaust, which, like, sounded fine and was, you know, still a good sound or whatever. But there was, like, some electronic control to say, like, hey, let's, let's use these, you know, crazy side pipes that, what was it, to bypass some part of the muffler? It went through a different, shorter run or something? Yeah, so the way it worked is they had the, it was after the catalytic converters, but before the mufflers, these little side pipes, and they had these little baffles. And the baffles had holes in them. So you could, um, so you could get a little bit more exhaust sound. That was the way. But they built it so it was really easy to remove the baffles, and it was just basically having straight side pipes, and it was glorious. It sounded really cool. But that's one where the car has this innate, really cool V8 sound to it, and then to meet all the you know, re- you know, environmental and like pass by noise regulations and stuff like that, it has to have mufflers. So it has mufflers. But then yes. they give the the owners options to you know pretty easily disable that. So the car has this innate cool sound that's being stifled, and then you can unstifle it. But the problem with these F1 engines, it's like the sound is there and the sound we're hearing is the sound that they make. So it's not like they're being stifled and we can just pull out a muffler. It's like adding a megaphone just makes the sound there just a bit louder, but it's not better. So anyway, right. that's, I think, the, the difference. And those Boss Mustangs do sound really, really cool. Uh, the other point that was brought to us, uh, to our attention about this, what? <laughs> I think something's coming down the straightaway. Do you hear that? It's getting louder. <laughs> Wait, here it is. Oh, Yeah. I think this is a uh, Red Bull. Is this the Red Bull? <laughs> oh, come on! I I'm right. You know I'm right. This is better. This is what everyone thinks the like U.S. Grand Prix is going to be. It's like it's not even <laughs> just a bunch of rednecks. They don't know how to turn right, and they're going to just be playing music. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I mean, Austin is a pretty big uh, rock scene, actually. It's Absolutely. not. Yeah. So I put up some spoon. Okay, separate from the sound, um, there was, it was. It was <laughs> Are you sure? Because I could, I could play some more of this. I bet you could. I, 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 I believe I, that. Yes. Um, the other I'm thing good at doing things is some GP2 cars. Now that we're back in Europe, uh, F1 is sharing weekends with GP2 again, and um, the uh, some of the GP2 cars, uh, the uh, pole sitter, I guess, was uh, uh, Stefan Rikelmi. Um, pardon my uh, pronunciation of his name, um, but. Uh, he outqualified um, if if they were in the same race. He would have outqualified Max Chilton, Jules Bianchi, Marcus Erickson, and Kamui Kobayashi. Um, so, yeah. and then every car in the top thirteen in GP two qualifying was faster than the Caterhams in Spain, um, which tells you a few things. Um, 
the the disparity between the Mercedes and the rest of the field. And then as you go back to the back markers and Caterham really has seemed to take a step back because uh, they were best of the bottom three for a while. And now they're really solidly at the back um, that their performance is very, very far off. Um, and that, you know, so the GP2s are um, naturally aspirated V8s. Um, you know, they're louder than F1 cars. They are louder. Um, which some people say is better. And I think, um, you know, we, we know how I feel about that. And, you know, it's it's cool that that's still a thing. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like that's, I don't know, that doesn't worry me so much. I think some people are going to look at that and go, wow, this is the, you know, F1 is the lamest thing ever. And they're going to go watch GP2 um, or you know, only go to GP2 races or whatever, but it's like, I don't think in a practical sense that that matters really. I mean, I think if, if for, if for marketing, if the, you know, if it, if it was true that people stopped going to F1 races because yeah, these cars sound lame, that things would change really quickly. I mean, this is still sort of a free market thing. No one's being forced to go to F1 races and whatever. Um, if, if people really find them to be that, that boring and quiet and they think that's really a bad thing, then they'd stop going. And then of course, you know, the, uh, the formula would be adjusted to meet that. Um, so, if anything, you know, it's, it, there's, it, it's, I think maybe a bit part of this budget conversation as well, where, um, the, uh, you know, F1 teams is, you know, between the, the highest and lowest spenders are huge differences. And it's not always clear how to spend more money to get faster. It's easy to spend money, but not necessarily get more for it. Uh, and so on. So that's why like the caterers are so far back off the, off the pace, um, that, you know, they would be outqualified by GP2. But, um, I, uh, well, I think the other thing about it is that, uh, it's going to be the the way the future is these new engine rules. There's going to be a point in time where GP2 also accepts a new formula and that new formula more likely than not will, you know, probably include some sort of hybridization, but we're just kind of this weird in between time where the GP2 cars got more and more capable. I mean, you think about a GP2 car compared to a formula 3000 car from not that long ago, a Formula 3000 car was around 4, 450 horsepower, I believe. GP2 car, 650 horsepower. GP2 car is on top of an Indy car um, in terms of straight power. And then it's also got efficient aerodynamics and things like that. I mean, the chassis, uh, the chassis and the tires, you know, that stuff's closer to or is spec compared to Formula 1. But we're still talking about extremely capable machines here. Mm -hmm. So Formula 1 goes through this huge shift to be a bit in the past in a way to now once again be breakthrough technology and GP2 is still kind of the old guard in that sense and uh, I mean to very much wear Jim's hat for a moment the other thing to consider is how much fuel did that GP2 car use in its effort to go a tiny bit faster than the Caterham you look great in that hat can I just say it's a good hat for you. It's a nice, nice hat. Wearing it's my hat, fun. making the point about efficiency. And I also think this is, I mean, I, it's correct that it, this is the first year of this formula for F1. So I think they will continue to get better. And it's probably, you know, I guess we can see next year at Spain, what is the F1 grid look like compared to GP2 if GP2 stays the same. I expect that more F1 cars will be higher up as everyone gets a handle on the new regulations and so yes. on. So yes, it's true that right now the some of the GP2 cars are faster than some of the F1 cars. Uh, some people say that's a huge embarrassment. I think that's just kind of a side effect of the way it is. That, to me, doesn't make me want to you know, cancel watching any F1 races and stop our show and say, dude, you know what? This series is lame. Let's start watching GP2 and let's do this. It's like, that doesn't, 
that's not a practical thing. I mean, there are people that like GP2 and follow it, but usually that's in addition to F1. They're they're doing different things. They they have different levels of success and different levels of driving and so on. But uh, I think that this is sort of a temporary, like you say, an interim kind of middle ground of brand new turbos and hybrids that everybody's getting their getting their heads around in F1 and GP2 kind of still at this older stage. So uh, we'll see well, what's what's going on. I mean, you know, when uh, you could look at you know, Formula One, of course, it's all down to regulations, as, as all these series are. Um, you know, when Adrian Newey did that X1 prototype thing for Gran Turismo years ago, yeah. it was like, what could we do if we had unlimited rules and just any budget and whatever? And they could make something that was way, way faster than a Formula One car or any sports car because it has, you know. And it, it, it was not open wheel. Right. It was not it's open like cockpit. Open, it was canopy. Yeah. It, I mean, but it's like closer to a Le Mans car than anything. Yeah, and but it's not practical, of course, in any cost sense, because if people think Mercedes is running away with the championship now, and if they think that's boring, then you can only imagine that if only one team has unlimited budget to come up with something crazy, like you have to have regulations and set up, you know, and settings to sort of make anything interesting, you know, worth worth watching. I guess the exception to that, like Pike Peak, the unlimited class. Um, is really freaking cool having these crazy twin engine, you know, four thousand pound, you know, four thousand horsepower cars and whatever. Like Pike's Peak is just a really cool thing on its own, and that's really neat. Um, but to have a racing and competitive series and championship and things like that, you just have to do that. Um, and open wheels, of course, don't don't make any sense for aerodynamics. I mean, you know, if the if the uh, if if it made sense to put some fenders on those cars and and do that, then they could. But that's just you know part of what we have. And I guess to that you know to that extent, you know, manual transmissions don't make any sense anymore to drive because you can have an automatic and it can be just as efficient or more efficient, and it can make all these decisions for yeah. you. But I still like to have a manual. So there's, there's a lot you know, of arguments for a manual, but efficiency no longer is one. Yeah. Right. So there's it, it's you know, I think it's a, just a bit of reality that. Sometimes these things are going to be this way. I don't think it'll be like that forever. Um, but if over time um, GP2 takes a different route and says, you know what, we're, we're not about efficiency, we're not about advancing technology, we are just about really cool racing, and uh, or you know, and then that continues to do well for them, and that's a marketable thing, and then things do start to shift and say, oh hey, actually these GP2 races are really a, a whole different you know angle on things, and fans really like that, then the industry would take notice, but. So far, it's really, really early days to say that anything like that's going to happen. So I'm not scared. Jim Lau, not scared. It's true. Wow. So that, uh, I think, would cover it for that, uh, for the race coverage. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say. Oh, oh, the cars are coming back. (laughs) Oh, it's just amazing how much better F1 cars are all of a sudden. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, Formula One. <laughs> if you had a sound, not a symposer, but a, a sound actuator or whatever for your car, would you make it sound like that every time you get on the gas and rev it up? It's just louder and louder, you know, hairband rock. Is that, it's a, is that your ideal at this point? Yeah. That would be a proper car for you. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. All right. I've heard enough out of you, Robin. Let's hear something from the fans. No, I have more to say. Jerome Vanderdorp. Updorp? I mean, there's no way I'm saying that right, and I'm, I apologize. But he wrote, <clears throat> Hi, guys. By accident, I found your podcast a couple years ago and never stopped listening. For me, the podcast is something that I listen to after the race, to get a complete picture of the race weekend. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm glad you had that accident, so thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, lovely accident to have. I hope it caused you no bodily harm. Um, 
He has a question for Jamie. He is a photographer himself and could never make a living doing that. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll have to ask Jamie, what did you do to get such a cool job? Do you think that a picture of an F1 car on the top of Eau Rouge in Belgium would make a great picture? Thanks in advance. So, um, we are not Jamie, but uh, I will make a point to ask Jamie, see if he has an answer. I do know Jamie a little bit, and I do know that uh, the way he got into photography is, you know, he worked really hard at it and tried a lot of different angles and stuff like that. Angles, I get it, because it's yeah, photography. Right? Yeah, and, uh, took, obviously, took a couple of shots at it and ended up something developed for him. Yeah, yeah. yeah no one shuttered the door in his face. He, he had the right perspective on it. I am so close to hitting Rocky like a hurricane right now. He just had a good lens to <laughs> – anyway. But anyway, uh, but but we'll ask. I mean he – you know, he – I don't know. I don't even know how to answer I know so little of photography. I don't even know how to uh, get the question going. But thank you, Jerome, for um, having the comments about the show. And, uh, yeah, we'll see if we can't uh, get Jamie to respond to that. Yeah, and I'm obviously not a prof- – well, I guess not a professional photographer, of course. Um, I have published a few photos. I've had a few of my photos published in magazines, mostly of you. Yeah. Um, well, from I'm, my, my uh, professional photographer career has basically been um, I hang out with you and follow you when you go racing, <laughs> and I take pictures, and then well, and you write stories. One of your photos was used on the, the website recently. Yeah, so I've, I've been on, on, on Internet sites and, uh, and, and saw a few car magazines, so that's exciting. Actually, Jim Lau, Internet famous. Our, no, our little um, – you know, doing F1 on the cheap when we did our road trip to Austin last year and all that. We had some pictures that were in there that was, you know, my photos of you holding a bag of peanuts, for that, example. That was you. Or and cashews, uh, whatever those were. <laughs> anyway. Whatever they were. So They, they but, were $8, whatever they were, yeah. freaking things. No, but uh, I did a story on uh, a sports car driver, uh, Randy Popst, and it was kind of getting racing advice for him. So they decided to use a picture for me from my racing days. It was one of the ones you took. In, at Mossport in Toronto. I'm still waiting for my check from that. By the oh, way. yeah, that, it's totally that in the mail. That never came through. Yeah, um, mail. They're Bitcoins. But what's, what's interesting is, um, you know, a picture, you know, so a car at the top of Eau Rouge, like, could be really cool in terms of where the car is and the speed that it's going, and we know what's going on with the driver and whatever, but sometimes, I mean, the picture, like, a car at the bottom of Eau Rouge, like, it's kind of, that's the interesting part from a driving perspective, because that's, like, you know, are you flat through this corner? Are you that determined? And you've, you know, you've set up the car well enough to keep the throttle buried and you've got just the right amount of steering input and the suspension's all loaded up, but that may or may not come through in a picture. You know, sometimes a still shot, yeah. like the, you know, the, based on the angle of it and the perspective and so on, like you could take the, the car, the driver could be doing something amazing, but it may not look awesome in a picture. So that's where Jamie would have that perspective to know uh, what's going on. I mean, certainly at the top of our Rouge, um, if the car is really, really light or even, you know, like up on a suspension or even airborne, that probably would be cool if you had a sweet angle on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, but airborne airborne is usually easy to notice. Right, that, that is true. And I think I think your point uh, reminds me. I mean, I don't do photography, but I've worked with them a fair amount. The the key thing you want to capture is you want to get the mood, you want to get the feeling. So you want to get the sensation of speed, the sensation of limit of 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 forces and those kind of things. That's if an image can capture those kind of sensory things, that's what really makes them stand out. Right. So, uh, you know, in my job, we do photography all the time. And it's funny to me because sometimes it's actually easier for the photographer to fake the speed of emotion, um, using, uh, using 
trickery with shutter speeds and lights and things like that than it is to actually capture the car really going fast. Because to capture the car really going fast makes the car look slow. And to capture the car moving slow but using slower shutter speed and stuff like that makes it look like it's going really fast. Right. And, of course, a car um, that's not sliding around at all is probably the fast lap time. But a car that is sliding looks cool. And you can see that. And you can see some countersteer and, and all that. So, like, you know, that's why like, drifting, like, looks really awesome. And there's smoke. And you can see countersteer. And you can see the, you know, the car's going one way, the wheel's turning the other. Like, there's a lot of cool imagery to it but it's not the fast way around a track so it is it's funny sometimes to see like okay we're gonna you know do a film shoot and there's gonna be all the all the cars are kind of doing laps it's like okay now do some laps for the camera where you're doing different stuff and it's more fun and whatever so it's yeah it's an interesting balance and, and uh you know we will hear from jamie hopefully next week and uh maybe we'll have a chance to uh get into this conversation a little bit with him and uh and see some of that stuff so thank you for the comment um, and sorry for pronouncing your name terribly wrong <laughs> opdorp i mean i don't even know von opdorp i mean it that's just I could that could be right. I hope. Jeroen, yeah. Jeroen. I mean, we don't we don't even know. Well, on the J there. Um, moving on, Paul Perry. I'm pretty sure we've got his email, his name correctly. Um, emailed us a while ago. This was because uh, it's, it's been a while since our last show, man. Um, yeah. But, um, oh God, yeah. It's been nearly a month actually, yeah. hasn't it? Um, and so he first of all he sent me the link to that uh, the YouTube video about why is Mercedes so dominant in 2014. And I posted that on the Facebook page and Twitter and so on. I think a lot of people have probably seen that now, but it's Martin Brundle doing a technology, uh, technology demonstration or kind of explanation of Mercedes split turbo of the splitting the intake side from the exhaust side. And uh, with just one shaft going right, to, right across the engine and just how that's worked for uh, heat transfer and a number of advantages that's had for packaging and so on. Uh, I which, think, wasn't that the biggest single advantage was the minimizing heat transfer? Right, because now they can use that ERS. Uh, they have to rely on it less to actually get heat out and they can just use it to, you know, they don't have to like rely on that system so much where these other teams are worried about so much about intercoolers and cooling the air because it's coming right next to the hot side of the turbo and so on. But what is ERS? Because I thought it was all about the ERS system. Right. Well, it's the uh, the heat, um, you know, getting energy out of that. So the it's like, ERS. It comes, you know. You got ERS with you, that. Well, you get, you know, you get the cool air in. Otherwise it gets hot. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I should, it's my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> it's not yet nine o'clock. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Don't. Don't make it so obvious to everyone how old I am. I mean, 9 o'clock in the morning because we've been up all night getting crazy. Woo! There you go. Thank you. All right. So uh, that video was on Sky the other week, um, as Paul continues. Um, But, you know, they didn't make a big deal about it. But it really seems like a stroke of genius. And I have to say I agree that uh, that does seem like a a big step forward. And, you know, maybe something we'll see on road cars or who knows. But it should be really cool. But he goes on to say... um, With this in mind, uh, it may take a while for other teams to catch them um, because this is, you know, a a pretty fundamental change. Um, I also guess this is on all the other Merck power units. So why would McLaren be so bad, which is basically what we were talking about before? Right. If they've got this genius powertrain, uh, you know, how it's it's not like a double diffuser thing where you have to kind of, you know, put the car around it or blown diffusers or whatever. This is like a, you know, it's in the power unit. So all the customer Mercedes uh, engines would have this as well. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe we understand why the pre- princi- why the team principal was shown the road. Goodbye, McLaren. Not likely they will overcome Force India, but probably too late for Jensen to do anything on the title. Cheers for now, guys. Keep it up, and I uh, hope summer has arrived to Detroit. And now, finally, it has. Thank you for that. Hmm. And, uh, and he says uh, he was over a couple of weeks back, and it was minus 20C. Unbelievable. Uh, regards, Paul. 
And uh, yes, it was crazy cold this year for some reason, and uh, the numbers in C looked even worse than they did in F, so that's what we went with. But yeah, minus 20, minus 30, and so on, and uh, it was rough. But finally, it's sort of springy and doing okay here. So thank you for that message, Paul. And uh, I, yeah, it's it's a good point. I mean, the you know, it, it does go some some length to explain why Force India has done so well. It's like they, do, they have a fundamentally pretty strong chassis, um, but to put then this, you know, excellent power unit in it, um, you know, does sort of explain why they would do so well compared to some of the other runners. But McLaren, it's like, man, you guys, the, your car had, can't be that bad, can it? Well, I mean, the one thing I can say about Mercedes is if they know that they have a potential heat transfer advantage with this engine more fundamentally than the other teams do, they might have been able to build their chassis around that advantage and further the advantage more than the other teams. That's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head. Um, also, uh, McLaren, uh, again, I mean, this is, I, I don't want to just repeat myself, but I think it could be that McLaren might have hit a stagnation point with all the management reshuffling and stuff like that, not for the base 2014 chassis, but for developing it. So maybe they are developing the car from a large step behind a lot of other people because there's new people trying to learn how McLaren works generally and then go from there. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a guess. Also on Twitter, uh, of course, I was not watching the race live, so we're not doing live tweeting as we sometimes do. But I do want to thank uh, Bernard A. for uh, posting the photo of the megaphone exhaust from the Mercedes. Which <laughs> I saw that and just started laughing because it's like, that looks kind of like what I had photoshopped. And what I had photoshopped was really dumb. So that looks pretty dumb. So thank you for uh, – he posted that to hash fun with car, or hash FW cars which is a hashtag we all use on Twitter. Jim's and, unrealized clairvoyance. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, something special. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so thanks to people taking part in that. Uh, Tim Meekins, James Payne, uh, Colin Sato, Amy Louise, and uh, Martin, um, all kind of, you know, tweeting and, and talking to each other, even if uh, you or I was not on there live because of our schedules and other things. And as always, we have a, uh, a great contingent of folks uh, sharing stories and photos and uh youtube videos and things like that on our facebook page so uh definitely check that out um if uh if, you know visit funwithcars.com from there you can see all of our shows and comment on them and listen to old shows and things like that as well as blog posts that we do uh every yes. once in a while we have interesting stories and uh photos and different things that come together and also when you uh write articles and stuff for your day job a lot of those we'll uh, copy over onto the show, onto the uh, site as well. So definitely visit Fun With Cars every once in a while to see what cool stuff we're up to. Also there, you can comment on the shows. You can email us. You can visit our Facebook uh, page and YouTube stuff and Twitter. So, And good. also, I'm sorry, a quick shout-out to the people that uh, commented on Facebook um, about our last episode. So thank you to Jim Helwig, Nadim Zikrit. Oh, Ziggy, okay. Yep. Uh, Craig, I'm sorry, <clears throat> Craig Wilson. Um, Scott Christie, Neil Popham, the prediction stud, and uh, Craig Wilson again. And by the way, Craig. Um, Craig. By the way, Craig. Um, being uh, being a hypocrite is fun, so don't be jealous. Yeah, so we had a little thread about that actually. His his point was uh, some classic hypocrisy in the Massa Vettel team orders debate. Jim did try very hard to get him to admit this, but just wasn't mad enough to accept it. Well done, Jim, for trying. So thank you for noticing my, my valiant efforts. Uh, <laughs> I and... mean, I, it, since you brought it up, I, I listened to our show again to um, double-check what I said what happened. Yes, I can see how people looking on the surface could see hypocrisy, but I still feel uh, my points are pretty valid that it is 
it's more so amazing not that the team was giving Vettel orders uh, and Vettel chose not to accept the orders, whatever. It's that Vettel was in a position to get those orders in the first place. That, to me, was the part to just laugh at. This four-time world champion, now because things aren't being delivered to him on a silver platter, pardon the, um, the cliche, you know, now he's like, but I don't want it this way. I want it that way. And to me, that's what's kind of crazy about it. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Hypocrisy. <laughs> All right. So thank you, everyone, for uh, sharing uh, feedback and, and various things with us. And uh, please continue to do so. And as we mentioned oh, before. No, wait. I don't think we've heard from anyone yet. Oh. There was um, someone from the. Uh... <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think you had something to say about a hurricane. I had nothing to say about a hurricane. <laughs> yes. Right. Of all the songs to pick, that one really? Well, you know. No, I don't know. Yeah, you're no, old. You know. No, come on. Rock You Like a Hurricane. The title of the song is about as cheesy as it gets. So why should. Anyway. That... By the way, I looked. Just as a quick aside, I looked at the lyrics. Rock you like a hurricane? These guys are sexist jerks. I mean, this is like, hey, hey, I'm gonna rock you like a hurricane, woman. I mean, and I'm toning it down. So, wow. Can we tone it down farther to be off and then continue talking about Formula One? But it's fun though. I mean, here's the thing. No. (laughs) The name of the band is Scorpion, the name of the song is Rock You Like a Hurricane. They're a hair band. How is that not the perfect sound for a Formula One car? I mean, give me one good reason why that wouldn't make the perfect Formula One car sound. Because it's terrible. Okay, give me another. Give me one more reason. It has nothing to do with cars and automotive technology and moving things forward. Ah, but you're wrong. Because, as the first part of the line says, it's early in the morning. The sun comes out. Last night was shaking. And pretty loud huh makes you think makes me think it's time for predictions makes me think that my poems aren't so bad (laughs) so as we've said predictions has gotten predictable um with mercedes dominance and hamilton dominance that has been it is another zero point week for anyone predicting that hamilton would be on pole and that hamilton wouldn't race which i did that has uh, happened again. So we have this week uh, a great many people predicting Hamilton Hamilton. Um, wow. Uh, 81 folks predicting Hamilton Hamilton um, for zero points. So well done to all of those people. Um, a handful of people predicting either Rosberg Hamilton or Hamilton Rosberg for one point either way. That brings you to the first 118 people that you know, picked either that or, uh, or zero points. And then there's me and the rest of us uh, who either picked uh, Rosberg, Rosberg. I was just kind of hoping um, if if Hamilton, you know, just crashed out or had a puncture or something and got like tenth place, so many people would have gotten all kinds of points, and I would have I would have sailed through with my Rosberg prediction. No, that so did many not people happen. would have gotten two points. <laughs> I mean, at the most. I think what's funny about it is, unless you were saying 
Hamilton would just fall out of the race altogether. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Because, like, you know, if maybe his spark plug cable insulator goes wrong or, you know, yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot to knock out an F1 car such that it can't finish a race. So unless that happens on the very last lap, it would be very conceivable. Um, but anyway. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, the other side of it, though, that legitimizes you predicting Rosberg is Rosberg's capable there's going to be a track where Rosberg just straight has the edge over Hamilton. That's going to happen. And Hamilton's been on this awesome, you know, streak, but it's not going to last forever. Right. Um, so in a fit of brilliance slash idiocy, I'm sticking with Rosberg Rosberg. Because check it out. So it's Ro- So I think Hamilton versus his team and whatever, that might get a little bit weird. He might get a little bit heated and just run one corner a little bit too wide and ball up the car, either qualifying or practice or something, And which either one would, you know, because if you qualify like 10th, it's so much harder to pass in Monaco that, you know, it's it's going to be, it's even true. if even if your car's way faster, yeah, you can do stuff with pits and whatever, but it's a much, much harder circuit to really make up ground. So if either something goes weird in qualifying uh, or during the race, I mean, you know, in turn one, it could just go crazy and a couple people could crash out and then that's it. So... I think, you know, Rosberg won here last year. It's home race sort of for him and so on. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm going to stick with it. Um, it's, you know, maybe it's a bit dumb. And even if I guess I'm thinking either, and of course I could get totally hosed here as well. But um, in this case, even though I wasn't correct, it was only two points. It was not, this is not a risky, like a, you know, crazy risky thing to uh, to predict. So um, I am going to continue to buck the Damien trend because our simple spreadsheet, of course, thinks that Hamilton's going to be on pole again and win again. And I'm going to go with it. Yeah, what did our spreadsheet know, though? I, on the other hand, unlike the spreadsheet, know all. And I am therefore going to go Hamilton, Hamilton. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. Not only uh, do I think that that's actually going to be what happens, but thanks to the brilliant work of Neil Popham, I literally have nothing to do. It's already in that I'm going Hamilton to Hamilton. Well, I so have, is mine. This is like I the lazy no need edition. to change it. And I, I, I just – it's one of those things where ultimately I'd love to be uh, proactive instead of reactive. But it's probably going to take something for me to, uh, to change. It's going to – I'm going to have to react to something because there's just so much – Mercedes has so much right now, and Hamilton, he's showing cracks. I mean, he's showing the way the way he built tension with the team, questioning what the team was telling him throughout the race. Uh, you know, that's showing, in my mind, signs of weakness. But uh, he's also incredibly quick, so I don't know. I have a hard time going against Hamilton right now. Yeah, I'm just looking up um, how historically... Uh... So Hamilton did win Monaco in 2008, uh, of course, when he went on to win the championship. Um, did you know that every time Lewis Hamilton's won Monaco, he's won the championship? I mean, I did because I just learned that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one for one's not a bad way to go. You know, every once in a while, there's surprise um, Monaco winners. I mean, Mark Webber in 2012. I mean, Nico Rosberg last year in the Mercedes was, to be fair, a bit of a surprise winner. A little bit. Um you know, Vettel was before that in 2011. Uh, Weber before that in 2010. Um, you know, Jensen Button in the Braun, that was when that was kind of expected with uh, Braun GP car doing uh, the domination that it was. Uh, Hamilton 08, Alonso in 07 and 06. 
Kimi Raikkonen in the McLaren Mercedes in 05 won at, uh, in Monaco. And before that, Yarno Trulli. Like, I remember, remember that. that. I remember Renault, that race, yeah, yes. As, uh, as uh, what, uh, Alonso's teammate in the, uh, in the Renault, the uh, mild 17th period Renault. And uh, <laughs> before, yeah, Juan Pablo Montoya, Coulthard, Schumacher, and so on from there. But uh, You know that uh, team spirit Renault rocked me like a hurricane. Oh, seriously. <laughs> but, uh, and then, man, back, you know. And I, but yeah, Senna, 87, 89, 90, 91, 92, oh, wow. 93. How, back, how far back are you going? I'm just, I see all these Senna's in a row, and it's just really cool to see. Did that. Jacques Villeneuve ever win? Um, let's see, that would because he was world champion in 97. 97, and the Williams Renault was quite good then. No, that was Schumacher in the Ferrari in 97. Really? Mm-hmm. I didn't know the Ferrari was uh, that quick back in 97 because he started in the team in 96 and they won. I think they won the Constructors' Championship in 99, didn't they? But then they started winning the Drivers' Championships, obviously, in 2000. 2000, 2004 was his five consecutive right. championships. But, I mean, so curiously, though, while we're looking at the list here, so Schumacher won in 94 in a Benetton, uh, 95 in the Benetton Renault, um, 97, as we said, in the Ferrari, 99 in 2001. But not otherwise, never since 01, and not sort of the whole Schumacher dominance and whatever – you know that didn't that didn't include Monaco and like even the, some huh. of the Vettel dominance didn't always include Monaco. Like you said, Vettel won in eleven, but not in twenty ten, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. So that's well, why I think Monaco was little... kind of Weber's year until the very last race. Right. So that's why it's like a little bit. Sometimes it's you know Monaco is a little bit different and a little bit interesting. Um, and actually, in ninety six, what we were talking about it was Olivier Panis that won. Oh, um, no kidding! That won in Monaco. So anyway, it could be a little bit interesting. Could be a little bit different. And I think maybe Rosberg will uh, will win a thing. Um, before we completely wrap up, though, I want to uh, you know this whole Facebook inbox thing we're not always great at, but I want to uh, definitely thank those who uh, followed up with the uh, um, with uh, Facebook messages from our previous uh, uh, you know from our previous show since then. So thank you to Self Petru, uh, Andy Barnes, uh, Bradley Baden, perhaps um, the. Uh, who, uh, let's see, says he's been a long-time listener but first-time commenter. I um, uh, love it. Has oh. never messaged. He's long been a fan, uh, a fan of the uh, of the podcast, and thank you for that. Um, and uh, he says, um, I just wanted to ask if it wouldn't be too much trouble if you could read my article that I wrote for the Sports Bible on team orders and F1, whether or not they are good for the sport. Um, it goes on to talk about that a little bit. And... Uh, you know, and it's it's something we've debated in the past. So you know, if you haven't read that yet, we'll have to check that out and uh, and maybe talk about it next time. But the most important point for you here, I think, he says, "P.S. I missed the poems." Dangerous <laughs> words, there, Bradley. Dangerous words. Well, I mean, you know, my poems got so much criticism that I moved on to professional poems by such um... scorpions do not count as professional poets. They were paid. For their poetry. They were paid for having big hair and tight pants. So, okay, so they're, listen, lots of people had big hair and tight pants that were not paid. And uh, they weren't the best at, you know, the poetry in the classical sense. But, uh, you know, their stuff makes you think. No, it doesn't. I mean, it makes me think something, I guess. And not, <laughs> anyway. See, it expands your mind. Also, uh, Ron Kasky, who wonders if I'm going to get uh, royalties for my, uh, my basically designing the next generation, you know, louder exhaust, and then Mercedes going and testing it, saying, hey, am I getting my compensation for that, for, the, for their implementation of my amplified trumpet exhaust design? 
And I also have not seen a check for that come through yet either. So I was just thinking, yeah, between your uh, between your photography checks and your royalty checks, you're gonna be you're gonna be doing quite well for yourself, sir. Yeah, Scott Christie also uh, did point out that you know I was right on the uh, exhaust design and uh, and on from there. So thank you to those uh, messaging us on Facebook as well. Sorry I didn't get that in in the uh, feedback portion of the show, but we made it in just before uh, you know finishing the thing. So. Monaco practice is just in four days. Remember, folks, that it is on Thursday because Monaco is nap time on Fridays in Monaco. So no, yeah. no loud F1 cars. What, what is that? Because I know it's unique to the principality that they have Friday something something. Yeah, I don't know if it's the like there's church services or something to do with that where it's like it has to do – I don't know what the deal is. Um, but either way, it's, it's just – It's Thursday and then qualifying Saturday. Right. So um, if you want to change your prediction, um, which I imagine a lot of people will probably stick with what they've got, um, at least the 80-some folks that have uh, huh. Hamilton Hamilton well. as their prediction. Um, but if you do want to change it, just be aware that you should do that before Thursday's uh, practice session. So we, you will hear from us uh, again soon, and that will be in less than a week's time hopefully. And um, uh, we will go from there. So um, thank you very much for listening. As always, visit funwithcars.com, and I am Jim Lott. And I am Robin Warner. Thanks for dealing with me, Jim, and everyone.